0: pushkin the most innovative companies are going further with t-mobile for business the pga of america is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with ai coaching tools and 5g connected cameras aaa is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.
1: I've interviewed many successful people over the years. And one thing I find fascinating is many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tight Knit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase Mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase Mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. This is Solvable. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Back in 2019, my co-host Ann Applebaum interviewed a Swiss history student, then 28-year-old Flavia Kleiner.
3: My Solvable is to build a political home for people who want to defend our liberal order against right-wing populists, as well in Switzerland, as well as in other countries.
1: Populists tend to frame politics as a battle between the virtuous ordinary masses and the corrupt elite. They demand that the will of the people should always win. And that sounds pretty reasonable, but in reality, many populist movements have actually targeted the poor, immigrants, women, religious minorities, and others to create an us-against-them dynamic. Those divisions can make it harder to unify around local, national, and global goals— like fighting poverty and disease, and banding together to face our climate crisis. Does this all feel uncomfortably familiar and close to home? I wish I could say that populism had decreased around the world since our interview with Kleiner first aired last year, but it's the opposite. Listening again, I was struck by just how encouraging it is to hear about Kleiner's winning strategies— Flavia Kleiner is the co-founder of Operation Libero. And just last month, her organization helped defeat yet another populist xenophobic referendum. Kleiner's insights and optimism feel especially meaningful as we approach our own divisive national elections here in the United States. Here's her conversation with my co-host, Ann Applebaum.
2: You, a few years ago identified what you felt to be a very deep problem in your country. Um, can you describe what it is and how did you first recognize it?
3: So actually it goes back to, well, by date of birth nearly. It was uh, '92. <laughs> uh, there was a vote on Switzerland joining or not joining the European commercial area or economic, the European economic area, the EEA. And the Swiss refused that. And that was actually the starting point of um incredible career of a party called uh, the Swiss People's party here uh, which is which happened to turn from a really conservative party into a rather writing populist party as well and uh, Christoph Blocher, he is the leader the the well-known like personality of this party there's a saying that he has tailor-made suits but which actually don't really fit on the shoulder so he would pretend to be one of you know The people, but actually, he's a billionaire. He's super rich, one of the richest people in Switzerland. He runs this party and he finances this party mostly. And so that was basically the the start of this career of the party.
2: So the problem you identified is the problem of Swiss populism. You identified a particular event and it was the right. referendum on mass migration. Can you explain what, what's the significance of referendums in Switzerland and why this one in particular affected you?
3: The SVP came up with a, what we call a popular initiative, which is a direct democratic proposal to the Swiss people that we vote on. And it means that you need to collect 100,000 signatures uh, on a specific um, legal text, which then, if it is accepted, is being introduced into our constitution. So it's not just some law, you know, it's changing our constitution. So the right-wing populists as well as other parties, misuse this tool today as a marketing tool for their issues. They come up with this uh, just right before election so they can campaign on a specific issue. But originally, this right was given to minorities which would never be represented in parliament. And through this initiative, they could introduce uh, law and come up with issues which matter to them. And so that particular event was in February 2014, where we voted on the so-called mass immigration initiative. Already from the name, you can see that it, it comes up, it brings up a certain framing. And the SVP wanted to limit the number of people coming to Switzerland in the free movement of people agreements that we have with the European Union. Switzerland is not a member of the European Union, but we have bilateral treaties. And the SVP said there are just too many people coming to Switzerland every year. And they won. Yeah. By a really close margin of 50.3%, it was only 20,000 votes which made the difference. And
2: so you said to yourself, how do we stop this? And then you went through a process of trying to think, how do we push back against this kind of language?
3: Yeah, the thing was... We didn't actually recognize ourselves in the country that we grew up in because we, we saw Switzerland as a, you know, cosmopolitan, international country uh, open and so on. And we, nobody really expected this to happen. It was like our Brexit moment, you know, where we said, OK, that's not the country that we want to live in. We want to change this. We want to have a brighter future and a brighter vision for what Switzerland can be.
2: But the populist argument had already infected all the other parties. In other words, everybody began saying in Switzerland, "Well, actually, maybe it's true. Maybe there are too many people here. Maybe we need stronger borders. Maybe we need greater sovereignty." So, how do you how do you push back against that kind of, you know, this change of social mood?
3: Basically, what what we saw is that we want to promote uh, Switzerland regarding to the future. We said Switzerland is the land of opportunity of the twenty first century. We're not a kind of open air museum where nothing should ever change. And that's also the country we want to live in in 2050. We're so, actually looking forward to the year 2050.
2: So, in a, so you began reframing the conversation, but actually you, you said to me earlier, you, you thought first about creating a political party and then you decided that wasn't the way to go. Right. So for us, I
3: mean, of course, you we were super disappointed about all the other parties. It just overtook the narration of the SVP of there are too many people in our trains. There are too many people renting apartments here. First, we thought, OK, we have to just Make a new party because we don't, we cannot identify with any other, we don't have a political home. But then we realized that in the Swiss political system, it doesn't really make sense to create a new party. But instead, we decided to create an over partisan movement, which actually goes against this tendency of polarization. But we wanted to unite the progressive liberal minds in this country. And also we wanted to link us somehow back to the tradition of 1848, which was the foundation uh, of the liberal state of Switzerland. And we, we, we introduced ourselves with our manifesto as the children of 1848.
2: So trying to link these liberal ideas back to the past, so they're part of Swiss history and they don't seem like some kind of foreign import.
3: No, absolutely. And even more, it was a really patriotic, but emancipated patriotic understanding of where we come from. The founding fathers of our country were the liberals in 1848. And we totally identify with their mindset of what it means to be a modern Switzerland.
2: But then how did you actually change people's minds? How did you begin arguing this? I mean, you're a group of students at the university. What, you know, what, what were actually the tools that you used?
3: Now I jump forward to um, October 2015. That was like a year, one and a half year after the whole thing happened and we launched our organization, our movement. Uh, we had elections in Switzerland in 2015. And that was a moment where, again, the SVP, the right-wing populists, became the strongest party in Switzerland with 29% okay 29% of our parliament and so again the other party said oh come on we just we can't you know we have nothing to to help us against this super strong party and then only one month after uh, the government said okay guys in 3 months time we're going to vote on the so called uh, expulsion of criminal foreigners initiative that was a initiative which wanted to expel criminal foreigners even for minor infractions of law for example, driving two times too fast within 10 years, which actually happens to everybody, you know. The other party said, oh no, come on, this is again about criminals and then foreigners. And it's driven by the SVP, this popular initiative. We have no chance. Rather we hide and let it just pass instead of, you know, losing again energy and time. And anyway, we just lost the elections. That was the moment where we somehow came up and said, okay, we don't want to live in a country where there's a kind of two-tire legal system. You, you have to know that in Switzerland, 25% of the population don't have a Swiss passport. They, they might live here for generations. They don't have a genuine link to the country that they come from, but they would have been maybe victims of that new law introduced into our constitution. So that was a moment where we somehow stood up and said, okay, We don't, we're definitely not going to make the gift to the right-wing populists and defend criminal foreigners because then you would anyway lose. Mm -hmm. So we realized that if we want to convince the conservative majority in Switzerland, we need to speak about something that matters to them as well. Because it's so super easy what the right-wing populists wanted to do. They, They wanted to ask the people and say, guys, this is your chance to expel criminal foreigners from their country. Why don't you just say yes? And
2: who's going to disagree with that? Right.
3: And so we said instead, guys, this is actually going against the fundamental principles of our constitution, against rule of law, against principle of proportionality, uh, which is super important to judges. Because actually this law wanted to limit and restrict the ability, ability of judges to actually look at the individual case and instead introduce a kind of automatism to um our legal system i think that was crucial because we decided that we somehow want to 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 conquer the sovereignty of interpretation from the right-wing populists over their initiative. Through this, and that was actually the biggest compliment that the party leader of the right-wing populists made me, was when he said after the election, after the whole campaign, he said, I don't know what happened, but at some, to- at some point we only spoke about rule of law. And that was actually
2: framing big success, right, that we had. So you reframed the idea, but then what, what were the tactics that you used?
3: The most important tactics, I think, is really to find a popular language to what I just described, which seems a really abstract, of course, um, argument, we managed to translate it into a, nar- a narrative, something tangible to people. And what we did is actually we spoke about Mother Helvetia. She's like an allegorical figure, which represents all these Swiss values, you, fin- you find her on our coins and so on. And the Swiss refer to her, she's the emancipated figure, which represents the um, the values of 1848, so the liberal institutions, and we said she would be smashed by what we tr- like translated as a metaphor at this initiative. She would be smashed by a wrecking ball. This statue of Mother Helvetia would be wrecked by. And you
2: and you did memes of that.
3: Yeah, exactly. And the video and so on afterwards. it's a special group or entity of volunteers we have. They're called online warriors. Uh, they basically are really active on social media and they're basically fighting back trolls and like fake news which are spread online. They actually go there and engage the trolls into a debate and they do it under their personal private account as citizens online. With their real names. Right. They debate there and what we see actually and that's the fantastic effect of it that we can actually change uh, debates online and that we can affect also the level of, you know, factfulness and so on. So that's a really, that's a really important change that we can see. I really think you can be popular without being populistic, you know, and you can actually, you need to find ways in this media society that we live in. You need to find ways to say things easier. To give you another example. If we campaign, we don't need to go to the Neue Zürcher Zeitung, which is like the liberal leading newspaper that anyway anyway people read who, who are convinced already, you know. But we need to go to the 20 Minuten, 20 Minutes, which is a newspaper that people read every day, a quarter of the Swiss population when they commute. If you get to this newspaper, which is really short, really easy and so on, you need to be able to say your message in one picture and five words. That's all you get. One picture, five words.
2: Can you give me an example of a campaign that you won? Because you've now won several campaigns, several referendum campaigns.
3: Right. So the one I was mentioning about the expulsion of criminal foreigners, that was really unexpected because we turned from 66% in the first polls who were in favor of uh, this initiative. We turned it into 60% refusing it. And that was a super important moment in Switzerland. I remember that day after the the vote, when I walked through Swiss streets and you could really feel how people felt relieved that that was for the first time that the 70% that don't vote SVP and that didn't vote SVP four months before in the elections, that they realized that they're actually the big majority, right? That even though the right-wing populists managed to dominate the public discourse for years with their initiatives, with their propaganda, I must say, by setting the themes that all the other parties need to discuss about, because they're just the richest party and because they're the, the best organized party, we must say, and because they are the ones who know how to communicate in media society. All of a sudden, there was someone who could counter this. And we felt that we are the 70%. And that was such an important moment in Switzerland where we managed to to break this sovereignty of interpretation over what Switzerland is and what Switzerland could
2: be. Is there a longer term goal? Is that right now you're fighting referendum by referendum, but what happens next?
3: So definitely that's only the first step. You know, we that's important to know about Switzerland. When you win referendas, then you gain street credibility. You're the one who manages to convince the majority of the Swiss. And so through this, you gain a certain importance in the public discourse. But of course, There, we still didn't actually affect elections because that's where laws are made in the parliament. That's where we see that we still need to improve our influence so that, because by now we only always get in in the last possible moment, you know, to somehow prevent Switzerland from accepting some... Uh, initiative. But what we actually want is to go over from this reactive mode into a more active mode. It comes down to this one thing that I would say, how do we manage that people see the real need of institutions that guarantee their freedom? How do we make sure that hope is an emotion just as strong? as fear because that's what i see is the biggest problem these days that of course fear is a super powerful tool but what we need and that's that was always a challenge to liberals the future is unknown so how can we promise a vision or like a, a future where people understand what what they want to go to where they feel at home because that was always you know a part of the emancipational process that there was something tangible close by something which seemed to be an improvement of the actual situation. And in a globalized world now where many values seem under pressure, I see that people aren't that sure whether the future will be brighter or will be more positive than it is today. And that's that's what I mean also by the the, the mood or like the atmosphere that I want to touch or to change here in Switzerland, that people somehow are confident about the future bringing them a better life, that they're looking forward to the year 2050 where they want to live with their families and and good jobs in this country.
2: How can this model... Help others. Um, You know, you've you've created a movement inside Switzerland. It's got it deals with a very specific form of Swiss politics, namely these referenda that you have periodically, and you've you've organized yourself around these referenda. But do you think there's a way that your way of thinking and your way of operating could work in other places?
3: I think. I mean, if I look back on how we started, and you know, we were total amateurs. We had no clue about what we were actually doing, right? But there was this this passion. This will of, we want to tackle that problem. And that's really a question of, you know, what's your attitude, you know? And here I maybe I always say you need this kind of reality distortion field of, I don't know if you're fans of Star Trek, but there's La Ménagerie. I mean, imagine the SVP was the strongest party in our country. That's not as it is in other countries these days, oftentimes. They are still smaller, maybe even more right-wing populist parties, okay, but In Switzerland, they're the dominant force for the 25 years that I grew up in. You know, I have no, I I don't know any other system. I don't even find it brave, but we just had to imagine a different system. You need to believe in in what you do and where you want to go. And this doesn't mean that you have to believe in your own propaganda. That's the worst you can do. But you need to be really convinced by where you want to go. And that brings me back to this vision that you need for your country, where you want to go to. And I think that's really what we're lacking of in many countries, that political leaders don't really provide a vision where people feel that they can feel at home there.
2: So there's a, there's a kind of template, you know, this is what you do. Could you Could you name five things that people wanting to create a similar kind of movement should do?
3: What I find interesting is to think about likely and unlikely allies, you know, who is out there. Who do you know? Whom do you don't know? And with whom could you collaborate in this mission? You know, that's a a, maybe an interesting strategic thing. So including
2: allies, for example, conservative allies. Yeah,
3: exactly. Because, you know, you might be surprising to some people, but get out there, talk to people, get a common understanding about what really matters to you. And when I mean what really matters to you, I also want to stress the difference between civil society organizations and their possibility to to actually st- stress what unites us, you know, not as much as parties. Parties have to stress what divides us, right, uh, for their political means. Civil society organization, we can actually stress what unites us, what kind of values we want to strengthen in our society, and how we want to build a closer um, society in a way less polarized about the more like the tactical side of it Mm -hmm. I would really of course recommend to to work with very modern tools but also more traditional tools really to go out there to to gather with people to discuss with people to get uh, like a, a real human contact you know because that's what I at least is my experience you can have the most evil troll um who you know who Who texts you on social media, but once you meet him, usually you 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 find a common ground and you can humanly discuss about things
2: so meet people in real life. that's another piece of advice yeah um, what about what kinds of tools do you use? what kinds of messaging?
3: of course i mean you always go with the newest trends so if you if it is instagram it's instagram if it's twitter it's twitter and you can the most important is that you somehow manage to translate your complex message maybe your argument into an understandable message so people can actually take it and i'm not saying this because i think people are stupid we have to do the work we need to approach them and to to explain it you know so that's at and least to my explain attitude. it
2: in a in a in a fast and easy way yeah. in the ways that people find most accessible. So yeah, and maybe, whatever it is, commuter tabloids, right, or, or internet memes, and
3: maybe even a, a fun way. Right, you mentioned the memes, uh, the short videos, something which is fun that people love to look. I mean, people love to look cat videos. So uh, and they are only twenty seconds long. So we, you know, that's. So you made cat videos? We already worked with cat videos, yes. (laughs) Is there somebody who inspired you? The most inspiring figures were always resistant fighters, for example, who fought the fascist regimes in the 20th century. That's why I do what I do. I don't want us to go that far because we've seen what human beings can do to our society. Uh, to me, it starts at a different point where we really need to figure out what are the basic elements of a society. And to me, this really is personal contact. This is neighborhood. This is family. Maybe this is just some close relationship to other individuals, which are not only like-minded, maybe. I think this is something that, this, that has changed a lot, at least how how I perceive it. And we should really make sure that that we, we reach out to people who, who have a different uh, mindset or a different vision of the future.
1: Flavia Kleiner is the co-founder of Operation Libero, an organization that promotes liberal patriotism and fights populism in Switzerland. Next week, Solvable is taking the week off. We're going to be focused on voting. Uh, we're hoping it will be among the highest turnout elections ever through mail-in voting, in-person voting, early voting, and drop-off balloting. Listen to Deep Background and other Pushkin shows to hear immediate discussion after the election of what it all means. Solvable is brought to you by Pushkin Industries. Our show is produced by Camille Baptista. The senior producer is Jocelyn Frank. Catherine Girardot is our managing producer. And our executive producer, Mia Lobel. Special thanks to Heather Fain, Eric Sandler, Carly Migliori, and Khadija Holland. I'm Jacob Weisberg.
0: The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you, and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer? Enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at T-Mobile.com slash unconventionalawards. See you there. Hello, hello, Malcolm Gladwell here. Are you a fan of true crime podcasts? How about investigative reporting from award-winning journalists? If you are and you'll want to tune into the new content coming from Pushkin this summer that you can listen to early and ad-free. Our team has exciting new seasons from podcasts like Deep Cover, The Nameless Man, from Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Jake Halpern, and Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock, the story of the woman behind painter Jackson Pollock's fame. Plus a new season of Lost Hills, Dark Canyon, which investigates the dark side of Malibu, California and a brand new show coming in July called Where's Dia? about the sudden vanishing of a millionaire widow in California. You won't want to miss Pushkin's true crime spree coming this summer. And if you want to binge these shows early and ad-free, you can hear all of Pushkin's content by becoming a Pushkin Plus subscriber. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or by visiting pushkin.fm plus.